Kim and I met at a cozy hotel lounge just south of Seattle one evening to talk about what it's been like to live her life. We were seated away from the crowd, but you might hear music playing in the background and noises from the bar as they serve their customers. The, the earliest memory that you have, it doesn't matter what it is or how unusual or mundane it is, but the earliest memory that you can recall of being a conscious human being. Um, I would say for me, it's unfortunately being sick. Oh. Because I was born with asthma and my earliest memories are, yeah, just being really sick. Like at the hospital or the emergency room? Yeah. Like living in the living in the emergency room, living in the hospital. How I, I don't have like memories like most kids of playing and stuff like that. And how old were you? <laughs> I was born with it, so I'm not really sure how old I was when I, you know, when you say my earliest memory, I don't know what age I was. I, I couldn't give you what age. I probably have to ask my mom. That's a good question. <laughs> so it was a being sick. Mm-hmm. And yeah. did, when you when you progressed in life, did your asthma become manageable? Yes. By the time I was in high school, I was probably down to one shot a week instead of several shots a week. Shots of like in my arm, like you know, to keep my asthma under control. So, were you able to do sports or anything? Um. I did sports, so I, I use an inhaler. Um, so the first sports I remember are high school, tennis. <laughs> so, but now it's like, you know, I use my inhaler if I'm running or like when I've trained for half marathons and stuff, I, I have to have an inhaler. But it's, now it's like you would never know I have it. Oh, so is it being sick? Yeah. So, when you were a young woman and you were looking forward to your life, yeah. were you always planning on being a lawyer? Yes. Did, really? Yeah. Like that was eye on the prize? That was it. Uh, either police officer or lawyer. Uh, because I knew either of those was going to be helping people. And I started hanging out with police officers in high school and I was like, okay, well I won't be doing that. <laughs> so and What put you off about being a police officer? Uh, dealing with crazy people, although as a lawyer do that too sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, just going on, going on ride-alongs and realizing that their lives are in danger all the time, and that just isn't my personality. So where, where were you living at the time that you were doing these ride-alongs? Um, I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Okay. Yeah. And so you said, hi, I'm... I'm Kim, I'm 15, I wanna go on a ride along? And they said, sure. Um, well, as you know, Cher, I, I really am, have always been very vocal and you yeah. know, putting things together, putting people together. And um, I, I don't know how I did it, but somehow um, got these different police officers in our neighborhood to come to the school. We started this club, police, young police club, and. Uh, the police officers came and mentored, you know, some of us as high school students, and, and that's how it started. And so, <laughs> was there a point when you were on one of these ride-alongs where you just went, ooh, I've seen too much today, this is, this is no. enough for me? I think it was just a collective of just realizing how much they put themselves 
in harm's way to keep us safe. And I just, it was just one of those things where I was like, no, that's okay. <laughs> it's not me. Yeah, so I just went down the lawyer, you know, road and as one of those crazy kids that knew like in actually junior high, I pretty much had an idea between those two. So, yeah. And so you went to college in Michigan? Um, partially. So I went to Jesuit University. So University of Detroit is a Jesuit university. But at the same time, I started working in radio. That was my first career. Uh, and um, got a promotion in the legal, like the legal aspect of radio. So you probably didn't know this, but commercials have to be legal. Ah. So there's certain things you can't say, and they have to be a certain time frame. Um, and so I got a promotion to radio station in D.C. So I worked with the American Broadcast Company for years. And so I moved to D.C. and finished at American University there, which is a sister school to University of Detroit. <laughs> You're like, I didn't know all these things. No, that's why everything's a surprise. <laughs> and so you worked in radio. But the career that you recently had as a lawyer was not in broadcast? Um. Um, no. So, uh, okay, I'll give you the short synopsis of how I got to lawyer. Um, so I, I loved working in radio. Um, all the people, all the artists I met, all the concerts I went to, it was fun. So lived in D.C. and then finally said I need to get to law school. And so moved to L.A. because I wanted to be where it was sunny and warm and palm trees and blue sky and ocean. Um, and that's where I went to law school. So then I started working at Disney Studio. So then I kind of went into entertainment in the movie industry because I thought I wanted to be a copyright and entertainment lawyer um, or like trademark and stuff like that. So I worked at the Disney Studios in law school and Paramount Studios and quickly realized I didn't want to be an entertainment lawyer because you're babysitting people and they're babies. They're like grown babies. They're like your high school students <laughs> or middle school students. So, uh, so then once I graduated, I earned, I, I did my clerkship up here and then I earned an offer at the firm and so that's how I got here. Is this, and you, and you met your husband here? Yep. Yeah, I tell people I don't know what I'm doing up here. <laughs> you, want, you always want to be somewhere warm and sunny. Yes, yeah. So I just tell people I think it's where God wanted me to meet my husband because I don't know why otherwise. So yeah, I met my husband, moved up here. Um, couldn't find any black people because I was living in Magnolia and I kept asking these police officers on bikes. I'm like, where are the black people? He's like, well, you're going to have to go to the Black Ski Club or the Fireman's Ball or the Central Area. And then I met my husband at the Ski Club. There's a Black Ski Club? There is a Black Ski Club. See. And that's how I learned how to ski. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? <laughs> See, this is why it's great to get people's stories. It is, because I would have I just never guessed. So did he notice you first or did you notice him first? He noticed me first. I have a feeling that was going to be your answer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, because I, I kept saying, 
oh, he just likes to go places. And my friends were like, no, I think he really likes you. And I'm like, no, he's just a nice guy and he likes to hang out. They're like, no, I don't think so. He had plans? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Lucky for him. Right. <laughs> Lucky for both of us, really. Good. Yeah. So you meet him, you get married, and then? So, um, yeah, we got married, um, and then through, let's see, because we got married later in life, and I can, um, this is a little bit of transparency, so um, being married later in life, we're already in our 30s, and I said, you know what, my eggs are old, I don't know if we're going to be able to have kids, yeah. so... Are you okay with adopting or because I didn't I was fine without kids because I just wanted to travel have fun enjoy life and he said he wanted kids and I'm like okay I'll spit a couple out for you okay but there's always a chance it's not gonna happen so I won't go through a whole bunch of other particulars but we ended up adopting Cajun Dion mm -hmm. and then two months later I got pregnant See, I've heard this I've heard all these <laughs> stories about people yeah. who are trying to conceive and they can't and oh, then, I could, yeah. Oh, and then they adopt, and then all of a and sudden, it, yeah, yeah. We, I could, I could conceive. It was just trying to get them here, Got and yeah. so, yeah. All of my friends were like, "I told you that was going to happen." I'm like, no one told me that was going to happen. So you had all of a sudden, you went from no kids to two, and then three kids, like in a period of like a year. year. Holy cow! A year, and my poor husband. So because you know of my history they put me on bed rest yeah so he was mr. mom of two kids like <laughs> zero to 60 seconds yeah how did that change your relationship you know I think um, I, I think just going through the things that we went through was really helpful for us to appreciate Tej and Dion and Naya and for us to, for Michael and I to kind of walk together through this. Um, and it was great because he took one and I took one. Because I have twins in my family. I have twin brothers, twin nephews, twin uncles. And so I just said, hey, yeah, one takes one, one takes the other. So it made it easy for him. I should say easier. I don't know if it was easy. Oh. Three kids yeah. in one year. Is yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, you know, you just do what you need to do. So well, we've learned that along the way. You know, you just, you make it work. You make it happen. And you look at it as, I look at it as, okay, this is a challenge, but it's going to be fun. And, you know, we've got a village around us to help us. Did you grow up in a big family? Um, I don't know. And at the time, it's not a big family. So I have three siblings. Mm -hmm. So four kids is not really a big family back in, you know, in that time frame. Um, but a big extended family, yes. Yeah. What about Michael? No. He has a big extended family, but they're not close. Yeah. Yeah. So Our upbringing's very different. Very different. So all of a sudden you've got three kids, and that must have been just kind of, I still think that's amazing. I didn't know that they were that close. Yeah. <laughs> so you go from a person who thought about having kids or maybe not yeah. to being a mom of three. <laughs> yes. Irony. 
<laughs> well, and I would say that's a lot of irony. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my sister still teases me. For one who didn't want to get married or have kids, look at you. You got three. <laughs> You're married with three kids. Aw. Yeah. Okay. You've got a very nice husband. Yeah, I do. I really do. And yes. that's a, a great spot. And now your kids are sort of transitioning out. Yeah. Talk about that. It's exciting to see them. Um, you know, just to hear the things that people, you, you know, and you know, um, just in the car with them, the transition of the conversations they started to have. And you would go, in my head, I'm like, do they realize I'm listening? You know, but I wouldn't say anything because I want to know, you know. What's happening in their lives? Y yeah, yeah, just how they see things, see the world and stuff like that. And pretty proud of my kids. They, they haven't been without struggles, and you know that more than anybody. Yeah. Um, helping us get my oldest daughter, my twin daughter, through a lot of crap in life. Um, but it's just seeing them start to become young adults, um, you know, working and um, trying to instill in them the value of being responsible, be respectful, you know, um, also teaching them what their future can look like, and that is a choice of theirs. Uh, Michael and I are very, very fortunate of the people that we have been connected to that have taught us some different things in life about, you know, designing your life versus just accepting your life. So we try to pass that on to our kids and watching them kind of, with three of them, where one of them has embraced it wholeheartedly as she wants to design her life. My son kind of just accepts his life and my uh, oldest daughter, she's kind of in the middle, in the middle trying to figure it out. Yeah. But it's kind of cool watching them navigate life. So you asked me to read the cheese book and I did. Good, <laughs> yes, what did you think? You know, I was really interested. Um, one of the things that I think everybody reads things and like we all have our own lens, right? And there's, right. there's things that stick for some people that other people don't notice. And the thing that stuck for me was the visualization aspect. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I, I noticed it sort of woven through there. And yeah. I think that's a really unique way to approach your life is to visualize the things you want. And this used to yeah. be, it used to be that was all new agey and mumbo jumbo and people didn't do that. I mean, Russell yeah. Wilson does that now. He mm -hmm. like, he talks about that. I've heard in a couple of interviews, he's, you know, he visualizes yeah. what he wants to happen. And I think, well, you know, what do I want to happen? What does anybody want to happen? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I found it interesting that that had become so mainstream, that it was yeah. in that book. And yeah. I, <clears throat> I liked that piece of it. That spoke to me probably more than anything. Good, and I, I think for you, Cher, you know, what you wanted to do, and I know we've talked about this, um, that's a huge piece, keeping that in front of you, you know, what you wanna do. Because I think otherwise, life can take you out of that. And that's, I think, where people begin to just accept the life they're given versus designing the life they want. So you, you've given your kids some pretty unique advice. Mm -hmm. And you're, one of the things that I thought was interesting is the path that you took, you're not necessarily encouraging to go down that path. Mm -hmm. Can you speak more about that? Um, and it can be a controversial issue for a lot of people. 
the way I see things. Um, I value education. I think education is the key to really designing your life. But I, I believe that there are three components of education. Um, scholastic education in school, on-the-job education, and financial education. And I'm a, a strong believer that the financial education rarely gets taught to our kids, our young adults, to help them set them up for their futures. Um, and so college to me, yes, I want my doctor to go to med school. <laughs> I don't want him talking about I stayed at the Holiday Inn and got some rest. <laughs> but at the same time, the landscape, I believe, is changing. And I feel that college it has become a big business. I feel that college has become this, this thing that you do versus you get value from. And so for my kids, we certainly say, if you want to go to college, uh, we want you to go. But we, we want you to go because there's a goal in mind with that college degree, not just I'm going for hang out with my friends. So we have pretty much said that um, you have two roads. And I don't know if I talked to you about the two roads. So you have the two roads. One, the typical road that we're taught, K to 12, you, you go to school, you get good grades so you can get a good job. You know, and part of that, sometimes people say you go to school, get good grades, so you can go to college so you can get a good job. Um, but what we say to them is with that, um, a job is not going to necessarily set you up for the life you want to design. It's going to give you a life that you have to accept. If somebody's telling you, you, can, you have to accept this job and this pay. And at the end of those years, if they take that road, only that road, they're going to walk away and be on a set income. And so we say, if you want to do that, we just want you to understand that's what it's going to look like. And that's what most people do. On the other road of being an entrepreneur where you design your life by creating a business, you know, like with writing and certain things like the podcast, um, then you get to design your day. You get to design your life. You get to design how much you want to put into it. But we also tell them this is the hardest road because you really have to get up every day and say, I want to go and listen to someone's story in your case, right? right? <laughs> or you could say, well, I just want to sit and watch TV, right? But with a job, somebody says, like for me as an attorney, well, here's your caseload, you know, here's how you handle these cases, here's how you do your schedule, blah, blah, blah. So we've taught our kids there are two roads. And you can walk them simultaneously, which is what I've done. Um, this was plan A, my job. Plan B was creating a business and until plan B became plan A. And then I could walk away from plan A. So we teach our kids that the financial education piece is crucial for you to think about how do you want to live your life. I think it opens up um, an avenue of experimentation mm -hmm. that is not necessarily, it's not the default, right? Right. 
And I think that's a unique piece. And so how have each of them approached it? Um, my son, so all three of them mm -hmm. want to design their lives. And I, I'm constantly telling people, not telling, encouraging people of all ages. Um, parents, I'm encouraging them to do this with their kids. I'm encouraging adults to do this themselves. Um, and so what we did is I sat down with each kid and I said, I want you to go from one to at least 20 and be very specific with how you want to live your life. Like, where do you want to travel? When do you want to travel? What charities do you want to give to? Um, do you Hang want on. So this is interesting. Yeah. So I don't know many people that sit their kids, sit their, sorry, sit their children down with a list of goals and say, what charities do you want to give to? Yeah. As part of like the big picture of life. Yeah. Now I'm going to let you get back to that, but I found that's really fascinating. Why? So, well, I mean. We all give, I mean, that's, that's not true. I, <laughs> I give to various charities irregularly. I don't yeah. have like one charity that I give to. Right. Sometimes it's just, it's miscellaneous year to year, but right. telling your kid that this, got, this is kind of part of your path. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you think most of the kids in school talk about? Saving the world, right? They want to help. They want to know they're a part of something. Right. I mean, they look at all these athletes, you know, and these athletes have been able to give, you know, the um, people like the, the Nordstrom's, you know, the philanthropy, the Gates, the philanthropy that they have done all over the world. And so I don't think we give kids enough credit. For wanting to give? For wanting to give and understand that they have they, they have, I think in middle school, very clear ideas of wanting to help and give. And for me, and, and all of this share really comes from my embarking on a journey of talking to a lot of entrepreneurs and finding out you know, just how they've lived their life and what have they done and, and how do they give. So, yeah, I think it's just, um, I think we don't give kids enough credit for having brains. <laughs> well, I don't think that they realize that that is open to them as right. people at a very young age. I agree. Right. But then why isn't that? I think there's, I honestly think there should be a class in philanthropy because then it opens a whole different view of well, what do I want to do with my life? Do I want to give a dollar? And that's great if that's what you have. Or do I want to write anonymous checks for tens of thousands of dollars? They are, they are interested in social justice. Mm -hmm. They are interested in equity. Yes. And most of them are actually interested in reciprocal kindness. Yes. And that hasn't been drummed out of them at all. Right. They, they do want to have the golden rule kind of be part of their path. Yeah. So you're nurturing that with your kids. And uh, I encourage everybody that I can to do the same thing. Plus the other thing is when they write down those, the, the life that they want to design and they keep that in front of them, then it's, it's just like the visualization that you were talking about. That's visualization. Otherwise, it tends to get stuck under the carpet, 
because other things in life get in that slot or get in the way. This is the most distracted generation that's ever lived. And I say that, and you know that as a parent, and I know that as a parent and as a person who spends time around young people. Yeah. It's very difficult for them to think outside themselves sometimes. So having that lens of yeah. philanthropy and, and charitable giving. Yeah. So where are they now with that? Um, all three of them want to have that life. All three of them want to design their life. They want to, they want, you know, like at the book fair. Not one of my kids was looking for a poster of a Prius, you know. Uh, and so they want to live an amazing life. But that being said, Dion doesn't want to put the work in. He's just happy letting life come his way. And that's okay. Um, Tej, yeah, she, she wants to design her life, but I think she has some personal issues she's got to get through. And I think now working, she's starting to appreciate more like most kids, they appreciate more of what their parents have been trying to teach them and show them. Um, so I think in time she'll get herself together. Uh, Sometimes you have to let go, really yeah. step back. Oh, you know we parent. let her go. <laughs> I know you did. And, that was, and I, I think yeah. a lot of people will say you had to let your kid go and really let him go. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's, it's not easy. You know, we've talked about no. this. It's not easy. Um, and Naya, Naya's already a young entrepreneur. She's following in my footsteps. She's like, I want to hang out with you, mommy. And she's around an association of other entrepreneurs who have, I would say, retired very young. And she knows it's going to take a lot of work. But I told her, I said, you know, all three of them, you can work hard for a good five to 10 years and live easy, or you can work you know, easy for 40 years and it's, you know, beyond that isn't necessarily as easy as you would like it to be. So they're all kind of in different spaces. And it'd be interesting to see how they, you know, where do they go? It's always interesting. So I think, <coughs> I think your, what I hear is your style of parenting has been somewhat experimental. Which I think is kind of fun because mm -hmm. I mean they're they're we all know that we as parents there's just things we should have done differently that we can't go back and do. Yeah. You're never gonna be a perfect right parent. But I think being I open don't even know what that is. No. Be, being <laughs> open to like changing your tactics sometimes with them. And that's kind of have to having yeah. to know your kid. Because <clears throat> you've got three and they're all incredibly different. And I've got yeah. one who is not a whole lot like me, or yeah. at least wasn't for a long time. Yeah. And now seems to be more like me than, than I would care to admit or she would care to admit. It's oh, kind of funny. that's adorable. No, no, no. No? Well, I would, she just, you know, she's more introverted than I am. And yeah. Yeah. You're not introverted. You don't seem introverted. No, I was really shy as a child, but oh. I had to kind of work my way past that. She's yeah. still, I call her a middle vert. But anyway, we digress. We're not talking I, about You me. know, here's what I say to people when they say they're shy. I go, did you realize you weren't born that way? No, something. It's not that people are shy. It's that they've allowed the hat, they've allowed people to put that hat on their head. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, Tej would say that. You know, I'm not as smart. I'm like, 
no one put that hat on your head, but you allowed somebody to tell you that, so you wear that. But you can change that. It's up to you. Not going to be easy, but you can change it. So I'm really curious about what your relationship with your parents was like, because you have a pretty unique outlook on life. With my parents? Yeah, with your parents. <clears throat> my parents, uh, my dad's passed away, my mom's still living. My parents, I would say, had been the best parents. Um, no one ever tells me that. <laughs> oh, I, my parents have been the best parents. I have That's been the out-of-the-box child all along. And they have never done anything but support me. Um, when I came home at 20 years old and said, I'm moving to D.C., you know, I got a job promotion. They were like, oh, okay, we'll help you move. You know, when I said I'm going to L.A. and going to law school, okay, well, we'll help you move and we'll come visit. You know, when I said I'm going to go study abroad, they said, okay, just make sure you stay in touch. And when I said um, I'm going to start a company that uh, is, you know, we basically built the, built the Amway business very successfully with great coaches who have done it before us. And my mom at first was like, why would you do that when you've worked so hard to be an attorney? And I said, because I want the lifestyle that I've seen other people. And this is the way I can help more people just shop from their own store like Amazon. And she's like, okay, well, that makes sense. You're helping more people. And then when I said, well, you know what, um, I'm leaving my job and we're gonna move. And she's like, okay, well, I'll come visit. <laughs> so so your parents, were they optimists? Because they sound like optimists. <clears throat> if they weren't, they never let me know it. Huh. But my mom did say I drove them crazy because she said you were always, you know, doing something different, but you were always very determined and, you know, basically, figured out how to make it happen. So and are you, so, are you, do you have similar personalities to your brothers and sisters? Um, so my twin brothers, my brother Harold, yes. My brother John and my sister, no. They're very different. They're very, I, I don't even know what to call it. They're, we're just very different. I get that. It's, it's like, I think it's like that in every family. I think that, it, you know, if you have siblings, each one is very different. And it's rare that all of the siblings get along. And do you all get along? We get along, but we don't. It, it's like my brother Harold and I are like this. We're very much alike. Um, I get along with my sister Noni and my brother John to a certain extent. But like to say, go on vacation with them, nah, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> they drive me crazy. Are you a spontaneous person? No, my husband is. Gotcha. You like a plan? I love a plan. I think I love a plan too. <laughs> I wish I could say I was a spontaneous I do person. Too. Cher, <laughs> I wish I could be spontaneous. I just. <laughs> My husband was like, want to do such and such? And I'm like, you know, my ca here's my calendar. You need to give me more notice. I think I can be a little spontaneous, yeah. but I'm, I'm... I try. Yeah, I would like to be more. Yeah. So your relationship with them was one where they were 
they were open to whatever you had in your mind's eye. As long as it was legal. Right. I mean, otherwise, it's like, I'll take you to the woodshed. <laughs> take you to the woodshed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm very grateful for my parents and my family for never stealing my dreams. You know, that other book, The Dream Giver, that we talked about, that's a good book to talk about that because I think often our closest family can be the ones that try and steal our dreams, but that's mostly because they're trying to protect us. And it, they're uncomfortable, so they're trying to protect us because they're uncomfortable. Or because maybe they can't, they can't see the, the, the picture that you're looking at. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I am a big picture person. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do ask this kind of question because I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper. Okay. Is, is there anything that has ever happened to you that was really scary? Like where you just froze and said, I'm scared. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's been a number of things. I mean, the twins, I mean, that was scary. You, you wake up one the next day and there's two people, two little people that you're like, crap, I was going to say something else. Um, you know, I've had a lot of scary things share, but I've never let it stop me. I've never um, Do you want to go with let an example? it freeze me. Let's see. I would say the scariest thing was trusting that my mentors and coaches were gonna help me build a business because I was like who does that and it's very scary to be high up in the corporate pyramid like in my job and then to say you know what I'm gonna I, I'm gonna go over here because I want this life here and to give this up without really knowing that this is going to be successful. So that was scary because I actually came out of management and uh, became an examiner. Um, a lot of people thought I had lost my mind. So explain that to me because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the lingo of manager um, to examiner. So a manager is just, you know, I got manager. that part. An examiner is where you, you basically just handle cases. So you, just you handle cases. You demoted yourself. I demoted myself. Ah, okay. That makes sense. I actively requested to demote myself. So you could devote other time. Yes. And did Michael do the same type of thing of a shift as you? No, because he's still at the city. He still worked with the city. He wasn't, I'm basically the primary builder of our company outside of this. And it's funny how that happened because he was the one excited and I was like well I'll support you that's a pretty cool thing you know you get to help people create a business until I started realizing what the benefits were to others and then I was like oh okay so that was scary I mean you basically give up you know 20 years of education right um, to go well and did you have to do these boxes or like okay health insurance retirement did you like 
that sort of like that detaching from all of those pieces and parts that yeah. get <clears throat> plugged into a, a job like that. Um, I think this is helpful for you. So I don't know if you have mentors that are helping you along this journey. Oh, and yeah. I think that's the most key part is having mentors who have gone before you to say, share, this is how you do, take this step, this step, this step, this step. And when you have that, then those pieces are already like formulated for you. Ah. So for me, that's why I love, you know, the mentors that I have, because they said, okay, well, this is what we did. You don't have to do this, but this is what we would encourage you to do. And I've got a good number of mentors. Um, and so I don't have to figure that path out on my own. So they basically said, okay, um, I, when you work for the federal government more than, I think it's five years, you're vested to a certain extent. So some of those things are just gonna be carrying forward that I just you know, pay for you know, differently. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. you know, I think when you're when you have a certain way of life and you have to shift to a different way of life, yeah. you have to detach from a lot of other pieces and parts yeah. of things. But and yeah, again it was it if I had to do it on my scary. own, yeah. I would have I would have never done it. I would have never done it. It's it's like creating the wheel and that was my biggest thing. I was like, if you guys say you'll help me, okay. But it still is walking on faith. I mean it's just like practicing law was walking on faith that I'd be able to get in that courtroom and do it. Do you miss it? No. Huh. I don't miss any of it. Was there any part of it that you felt like was really meaningful or like yeah. a like a moment where you felt like, damn, that was that was awesome, Kim. All of it. All of it, really. I you know, I don't I don't take anything negative from practicing. I loved every minute of it. Um, I love walking in the courtroom and people saying, where's the attorney? And I go, well, I'm the attorney. And I didn't say it like that. Um, I loved helping every injured worker that I could help. You know, my last job was working with people that worked at Hanford and Nevada oh. Test Site. And um, before I left, I tried to get completed as many cases as I could. So I enjoyed every bit of it. Wow. And I still mentor young lawyers. So yeah, that even though even though that's not my focus now, I loved every moment of it. I shouldn't say I loved every moment. I mean, it was it's nerve wracking getting up in front of a court. You know, it's got to be nerve wracking getting up in front of a bunch of crazy kids. Middle school kids are crazy, <laughs> and their parents. <laughs> I, th I think like you, I got to the point where I was comfortable in that skin. Mm -hmm. And so staying in that skin is, is okay. Yeah. But I have other skins I want to try yes. on. Yes. Or other shoes or other paths I want to walk. I love all of that. And I think that I love that you do that because a lot of people get so comfortable in that skin that they're in. And we're not really, another thing, we're not really encouraged to step into another skin you know um, I'm a deeply curious person deeply curious and yeah. that makes me so annoying to a lot of people in my life Never because I, <laughs> thank you but I so I ha always have a lot of 
things I'm interested in and yeah. a lot of questions. So Good. I'm going to the next question for you. Okay. So when you look at yourself, yeah. is there a difference between the, the way you think other people see you and you see yourself? There's got to be. And there's got to be. So how do you see yourself and do you have any inkling on how other people see you? I have no idea how other people see me. And I often wonder, it's like, because people don't just come up and say, this is how I see you, you know? But there's also, sometimes you'll give a person an impression, I think. And that's, I, I, I that think would be people it. see me, I, I believe people see me as driven. I have I've had that said. And then how do you see yourself? Driven. Really? I see myself optimistic, driven, helpful, encouraging, sharp tongue sometimes where I really have to work on that. Um, very transparent. Um, I see myself sometimes where I have, um, what do you call it? Um, I'm not as empathetic or sympathetic as I think people would like me to be. I'm like, suck it up. So I try and work on that. Because you have a lot of momentum in your life. <clears throat> you like to keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't really like to look back. I, I have a lot of sayings that I keep and, you know, you waste time looking back. You should, you know, embrace what you've gone through in the past, but your past doesn't define you. And if we live so much in the past, then how do you move on to the future? People don't, they get stuck. They get stuck. And, and I, that, that's the piece I have to work on because I don't like whiners. It's like if you're whining, you need to change. You never come home from work and say, Michael, I'm so tired. I need you to just take all this and I'm going to just sit here. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, that's not whining to me. That's just stating. Whining is going on and on and on about it. I see. Know, wallowing in it. Yeah. Oh, of course. I think I, I can't imagine never acknowledging when you're tired or, you know, this. So I think that's something that's difficult for people. They think if they, if they have, they come home and they say, I've had a terrible day. I need a break. I just yeah. need to not be accountable for all these moving parts right now. Yeah. You call that being transparent, right? Just saying mm -hmm. how exactly how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. What do you call it? Me too. <laughs> okay. But I think people think that if you admit that you feel something, yeah. if you feel tired or you feel defeated or you feel like you just can't, you need to some yeah. self-care. Women yeah. have a harder time yeah. sometimes. I think women have mm -hmm. a harder time a lot of times, especially moms. Um, and I'm teaching my kids not to do that. Honestly, I just had a conversation with Naya. Um, I think it was, oh, we were getting our phones changed over. And Michael said, well, I said, well, I'll meet you and Dion at the store. Just bring your phones. And he says, well, can you call me when you guys are there? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to call you. We're on our way there now. You can meet us there. You can leave in 10 or 15 minutes, but I'm not going to call you. It's, so I get off the phone and I explain to Naya, I go, people will wear you out if you allow them. 
to want varying levels of support. Yeah, it's like if I say we're going here and you know how long it takes to get there, there's no need, there was no reason for me to add another thing onto my plate of calling them and saying we're close by or we're here. I've already said we're on our way there. So you're really clear about defining your own boundaries. Oh yeah, that's another good book to read, Boundaries. Um, and I'm trying to teach my children, especially my daughters, that because I think as women, we tend to want to, we, we're so much nurturing that it sometimes it's too, it can be to our detriment. I think um, women today are expected to <clears throat> still be mothers, full-time mothers, you know, mm -hmm. like the mothers that didn't used to work outside of the home. Right. And then and have a career mm -hmm. and be a wife or a partner. Mm -hmm. How many times can you clone yourself? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I mentor young ladies um, and I say, you know, and, and my friends have talked about this because in the beginning with Michael and I, I said, I'm never going to be super mom. I don't like cooking. I don't mind cleaning, um, but I think women, and as you know, however women want to live their lives, I'm, I'm fine with, but I try and teach them, okay, when you're going to get married, then you guys talk about that, because if you don't want to cook seven days a week, but your significant other is thinking you're gonna, you guys need to talk about that, and you need to say, I'm not going to cook seven days a week, you know? Um, we can figure it out, which is what Michael and I did. I said, I don't want to cook. I'll cook four days. I'll make sure we have food four days. That's what I said. I think there's really um, a redefined balance in marriages now that women yeah. have careers. And they should. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't, you, I don't believe women should bring home the bacon, <laughs> you know, be a full-time mom, a full-time wife, a full-time worker. Um, and a guy is sitting on, on the sofa watching TV. No, there's been a real shift. No. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of our generation of women that have had to take it on. I don't know where that comes from, Cher. That, that's, that's, that's another whole conversation with it is, me. It is. It's another whole conversation of work-life balance and marital balance yeah. and, and relationship balance. In, there is no balance. I don't believe that you can ever have balance. It's a, it's a constant shift. It's a constant shift. Yeah. But I do believe, I, I definitely believe that women um, have to set boundaries and not feel bad about it. But I think you have to do that early on. I don't think you can 10 years in go, well, I'm starting to set boundaries. I mean, you can. But depending on the culture you were raised in, a lot of us were raised to be pleasers. People pleasers, yeah. yeah. To never say no or to never say you right. You couldn't do something. Well, I mean, you think about it when we grow up and our parents say do whatever. We're supposed to say yes, ma'am, yes, sir, or yes, you know. You don't really get the option to say no, so it kind of sets you up for that. It sets but, you up for the default life, Kim. Yes. <laughs> it's true. It's true of not being um, able to experiment or change things. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. That, that's that accepting versus defining, you know, de de designing your life. Yeah. 
sometimes as women, we're looked at as like you may have friends that go, well, why would you want to start that now? Why would you want to do that now? You're a teacher and you're like, well, I enjoy being a teacher, but I'm more than that. Yes. I can't, I can't imagine having the same thing every day all the time. Yeah. That's called a rut. <laughs> so what next? Oh, just an amazing, I, the future just, it's almost like I can barely contain myself. Because you're so excited? Because I'm so excited. Because you get to go live somewhere sunny? Oh yeah, there's that. Um, but you know, just for me to be able to wake up every day now, and I'm still nowhere near where I want to be, but I can, I can wake up every day and decide what I want to do. It's a very powerful feeling. It's a very cool feeling. So that's exciting. And when you get to that point, and you will, because you will continue to write, you know, do the podcast, and at some point share plan A of teaching, will go like this. And you'll be able to walk away from teaching, and then you and Lloyd can live your life. And it's a very, very powerful feeling. And there's a difference, I believe, in doing that because you designed it versus somebody making you do that. Well, it's all about ownership. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's another book, Extreme Ownership. <laughs> I read a lot of books. Um, and a lot of us do not take extreme ownership of our lives. And you're taking ownership of your life. So. Yeah. I, am, I am working towards a lot of different ideas, yeah. but I feel like for me, um, one of the greatest things I can do is listen to other people. Yeah. And everybody's story is so varied and different, um, yeah. but it gives me just this, like, and I want to like coin the term, this beautiful mosaic of what human lives are like. And I, I love to listen to it and it just sort of percolates through my brain. Good. Yeah. And it gives me so many ideas and it keeps me... Um, it keeps my curiosity satiated. Yeah. It's kind of a silly thing, but it, that's no, important to I think me. It's, I, I love getting together with people and hearing their stories. You know, what did they used to do? You know, Native Americans, they sit around and they share stories in Africa, you know, in, in the Latino country. The stories are, have always been there. Well, oral tradition, the story is, yeah. is when I when I'm trying to explain something, mm -hmm. you can have all these different ways when you can explain an idea to people who are learning it. But when you tell it in the form of a story, our brains yes. are so hardwired to remember it. Yes. So we love a story. It's kind of like why a everybody song. likes movies. It's a yeah. story. It's a story. So your story is getting ready to change, and you're super excited. I'm very excited. Because and you're beaming. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. When you look back, I know you said you don't like to look back a lot. Yeah. But when you look back <clears throat> and you think of all the things that have come before you, yeah. this was all meant to be. You had faith. You had you had some sort of faith. Which part? In any of it that your life was going to be what you wanted it to be. Oh, I've always had that faith. 
I've always. always had that faith. I've always designed my life. Certain to a certain extent, I've accepted it because you know, um, I've designed it in terms of when I went to DC, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. You know, I've never been to DC. There's all the capital and all that. Um, but to a certain extent, yes, I had to accept the job that I took in order to get there. Um, I designed my life going to LA. I mean, a lot of my friends are still stuck in Detroit. Um, and a lot of my law school friends are still stuck in LA. They're, 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 and I say stuck yeah. because if you talk to many people and you say if you could wake up tomorrow and you're, you could design your life and how you spend your day, they rarely talk about what they're doing currently. So I feel I've always had the faith that whatever goal I want to reach, I can make it because I always have. It may have taken longer, but it's always happened. So it's about self-belief. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I listen to a lot of, um, I watch a lot of YouTube videos of uh, successful people, you know, their work habit, um, their morning, how do they spend their morning, how do they value other people, how do they care about other people. What did they do to, to break out of whatever they were doing that put them on another path? Every morning I do that. And that's how I think I keep being, like you were saying, encouraged to keep going. I connected with Kim many years ago through unusual circumstances. Since then, we've met periodically to have some great conversations. But I didn't really know her whole story. Kim's ideology about designing a life rather than living with a predetermined outcome lingered with me because I think this is a change I want to make too. And the more I thought about it, the more I wondered why we aren't actively teaching young people to design their own lives. Maybe they would be happier, more hopeful about their futures, knowing that life can be experimental, full of options and paths that aren't necessarily reflected by the status quo.